Hey, happy Mother's Day. I have been saying happy Mother's Day, uh, happy Mother's Day to kids and to husbands and to all the moms because this is a great Mother's Day because we all have moms, right? And we all are thankful for the moms that God has put in our life. And so this is a great Mother's Day for everyone. We're going to be talking about today just courageous motherhood. And I just want to say that, you know, moms are courageous. You know, we even have like sayings about moms being courageous, like it's the mother bear. Watch out for the mother bear. It's like you don't mess with people's kids because the mom will come after you. Um, mothers are courageous. I, I was thinking about this. Um, so when I was in sixth grade, I'm not 100% sure why my sixth grade teacher didn't like me, but she really did not like me. And the good news is there was one other kid in class she also didn't like. <laughs> who I happen to get along well with. So uh, during recess, me and that kid would always sit outside the front of the classroom. We were never allowed to go out and play, but we got to hang out with each other. And uh, anyway, so our class did this paper drive where it was just, you know, and then the class that got the most newspapers brought the most newspapers was going to be able to go to a park and have lunch and kind of have a fun day. Well, I happen to have this neighbor that probably for 30 years had been collecting his newspapers. And so out in the front of his house was a pile of newspapers, like it had to be like seven feet tall. I mean, it was just this huge, massive pile of newspapers. So I go over to the guy and I said, hey, we're doing a paper drive at our school. Can I get some of your newspapers? And we had this uh, VW van, he gave them all to me. And so my mom, I got my mom to drive over and we got this van and we filled it like under the seats on the floor. We stacked it to the ceiling, the entire van full of newspapers. And then we would drive to the school and offload all these newspapers. And other people are coming up with like a little box of newspapers and I'm just bringing like vans. And we probably made like four trips in this van, just filling it to the top with newspaper. <laughs> so needless to say, my class won. <laughs> and then the teacher decided, you know, if you're missing any homework assignments, you don't get to go on the newspaper day thing. And I think she said that because I was missing assignments. You know, it's funny, uh, I, when I looked at the, the class chart, I had a B in the class. And then when the grades came out, I had a, like a D or a C or something. And I'm like, well, how come I have a, if the chart said I had a B, how come I have this? She goes, I hadn't subtracted the assignment you didn't do yet. I'm thinking, no, that's like, anyway, so uh, she just decided that because I was missing some assignments, I couldn't go on this thing. So my mom, I went home and told my mom, oh yeah, I'm not going to go on the thing because you know, I'm missing some assignments. And my mom just looked at me and she had got this really weird look on her face. And she said, no, you will be going on that trip. And then she went to school and she went to my sixth grade teacher and she said, give me the list of assignments that Roger's missing. He'll do them all by tomorrow. But just so that you know, he will be going on this trip if I have to show up here and put him on the bus myself. And so I went home, I was up till one o'clock in the morning, and my mom got every single homework assignment, she put it in front of me, and I was not going to bed until they were all done, and then she showed up to make sure I was going on this trip. You know, that's like, that's, that's a story about my mom, but that is just, that type of thing is true of moms. They are so courageous. Now, when you think about courage, um, I think it takes courage to even have a kid. 
Um, so anybody who is a mom, uh, my hat is off to you. I used to, you know, on our first kid, Jessica, when, when mom was pregnant with you, I was just thinking to myself, thank goodness I can't trade places with mom. This is something she's going to have to do on her own, and I just have to watch. But, um, you know, uh, but just a few things about courage. You know, courage is not having the strength to go on. It's going on even when you don't have strength. That's something that Napoleon said. Um, another quote about courage, it says, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. You ever been there as a mom? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at, testing, at the testing point, which means that at the point, which means means at the point of highest reality. In other words, courage displays itself in every character quality. And then all of our favorite um, theologian, we're playing music because we like this. We want to emphasize it. Um, This next quote coming up is going to be your favorite from all of our favorite philosopher, John Wayne. Courage is is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Hey, that's courage, huh? It's not the absence of fear, but just doing what you need to do. When I think about Mother's Day, I am just so thankful for moms. And, you know, the Lord would have us honor moms. Like, that is not just a cultural thing, not just a cultural thing. As Christians, we should exalt and be thankful for and appreciate motherhood. And there's not a time, I think, in history that motherhood has been so devalued as it is today. Uh, there are people who feel like they, if you have a great education and you stay home to raise your kids, that you're wasting your education. Or that if you leave a career to give time to your kids, that you are wasting your career. There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with careers. In fact, those things are amazing. And I, and, and I think all moms should have those things at the right time and in the right way. But there is nothing more important than raising kids, than being a mom. That is the most important thing, the most significant thing that any mom does. In fact, when the Bible's talking about teaching and just laying out the role of men and women, and it just says um, that men are to be the primary teachers in the church, you want to know what it comes back and says at the end of that passage? But the influence of women is so significant because they're going to raise kids. And the raising of children is, is elevated to the point that is higher. Like you might think that somebody speaking to a massive crowd is influential, but the Bible says, no, raising kids is influential. And so we need to honor moms, not just because it's a holiday, but because that's what God wants us to do. I'll read just a few verses. Uh, Exodus twenty twelve says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. As kids, you are blessed when you honor your mom. That was in Deuteronomy 5.16 too. God says this, Leviticus 19.3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Mother comes first. Shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. You know, God talks about honoring him in worship, but he puts in that phrase, the the first person mentioned is a mom. 
So we need to honor our moms. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a mom that was certainly a courageous mom. We're going to look at the mother of Moses. And um, <clears throat> her, name, her name is Jehochebed. And many of us don't know uh, her name, but we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 1 and 2 tonight, uh, this morning. And so her name is Jehochebed, and a courageous woman. Now, I just want to say this, that being a godly mom takes courage. And God has instilled the courage that every mom needs to function as he intends. And, and so that's not the absence of fear. It's not that we're not going to face difficulty or challenges. But God has, has put in the heart of every woman the courage that he wants her to have and display. And courage flows from faith. It flows, it flows from knowing who God is, from trusting God, from seeing the big picture in life, from understanding that God is sovereign and he is powerful and that he loves us and that he holds life in his hands. And one of the things I love about the story of Moses, Moses' mom, is that Moses' mom has a picture of what God is doing and she understands who he, who he is and that informs how she faces a most challenging time in her life, which was actually a moment of great blessing, one that nobody in her time probably recognized. I want to just encourage you that if you are a mom this morning and you kind of look at your life or you look at situations in your life and you feel like this is difficult, it's challenging, there's not hope in this, I feel discouraged, I look around and I see I'm, I have a pessimistic view of things, maybe kids that you love and that you're praying for are not walking with the Lord, maybe there's other kinds of difficulties and challenges in your life, and I just want you to know that this amazing story happens at the midst of a time that seemed so bleak to everybody in it. But had everybody in this story been reading the Bible, been reading the things that God had said, had they been thinking about, okay, at the time of the story, they didn't have the Bible, it wasn't all written out yet. But they did know the stories of what God had done that were later recorded. They knew those stories, and had they thought about them, they would have looked at this difficult moment as a, as a great time of triumph. But what seemed so dark and what was so challenging, Moses' mom steps up and she, she is the woman that God intends her to be. So we're going to see four things this morning. The first is that courageous faith is displayed on the backdrop of difficulty. So if you are ever facing difficulty in your life, if you're ever struggling as a mom, that's amazing, that's wonderful, because that's where faith shows itself. The second thing is that courageous faith shows itself in actions of love. Um, Moses' mom put herself at risk to care for her, her child. And this is the other thing. The third thing we're going to see is that courageous faith highlights God's sovereign plan and protection. 
When people step out in faith, when you trust God, when you do the things that God calls you to do, that's where God's sovereign protection and plan is displayed for everyone to see. That's when you'll see it and you'll trust it the most. You'll say, this looked so bleak and I obeyed God and look at the miracles that he did. And throughout the Old Testament, when we read stories, It's not that God is ever not sovereign. It is not that he is ever not protecting. But so many people miss the opportunity to see and experience that for what it is because they don't step out in faith. Like think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They didn't stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. They would never have understood the amazing salvation that God had for them as he spared them from the fire. And that is just true in general in life, that our faith highlights God's power and protection. And the final thing that we're going to see here is that courageous faith is inspiring. It influences other people. And my challenge this morning for moms as we go through all of this is that you will live a life of courageous faith. And that people who know you, that people who love you, that the people who are close to you in life will be inspired by what they see in your life. Hey, you ready to uh, jump into this? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to actually read some background before we get into this story. Because I think it just kind of helps color the way we view this story. And it should help all of us think about the way we view our life. So the first thing, the book of Genesis, anybody know what Genesis is about? So Genesis is a book of beginnings. First 11 chapters of Genesis describe how God created the world, where we came from, tells us how sin got into the world, what God did is promise that he would send a savior. So it's the creation of people, of human beings. That's what we see in Genesis 1 through 11. And if you don't read and understand that, it's actually hard to understand anything in life because that provides the foundation for us us to understand how we got here and why the world is the way it is, Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12 through 50 is talking about God creating a nation. It's when God says, okay, so now I've made a nation So in Genesis chapter 3, God promises the Messiah. In Genesis 12 through 50, God creates the nation from which this Messiah will come. And so that's what's happening there. And in Genesis chapter 12, God's going to tell Abraham some things. And this, by the way, when you think about this whole story and the story of Moses, often we can read Bible passages and we can just kind of think about, oh man, Uh, How does this story impact me? What's the lesson that I can take from this? And that's good. Those things are important. We're going to do some of that today. But did you know that that you are not the highlight of history? Uh, You're a piece of God's story in history. And you fit into something much bigger that God is doing. And so this is a story about Jehochabed. This is a story about Moses. But more importantly, this is a story about what God is doing in the world. And we need to understand when we understand that we are a piece of what God is doing in the world. And the world does not revolve around us. The world revolves around God and his plan. 
And when we live faithful lives, then God displays his glory and we become a really important part of that plan that God is working in history. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, is where God's going to make a promise to Abraham, and he's going to tell him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Let me read that. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless all those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So when you think about this for Jehochabed and Moses and everybody in Israel, um, when they look at their circumstances, they're going to think to themselves, this is very bleak. This is very terrible. We're slaves in Egypt. We're building pyramids. We just work from morning till night. This is just horrible. But if they thought to themselves, no, actually, I'm a descendant of Abraham. And God's promised that he's going to bless me and that as a descendant of Abraham, anybody who blesses me is going to be blessed. And anybody who curses me will be cursed. That was true for the nation of Israel, but I just want you guys to know that as believers, we are God's children. And I was thinking about in uh, 1 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church, and he says to the Thessalonians when they were being persecuted, he said, isn't it right for God to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you? You know, just this whole idea that we are God's children and God's our heavenly father taking care of us. And so even though things look bleak, if they would have thought back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, they would have said, no, we, we are a special people. We are a people that God is going to take care of. And I just want you to know if you are a believer today, you are a special person. You are somebody that God will take care of. You want to know one of the amazing things, though, that's going to come up in chapter 15 of Genesis, we'll read that, verse 4, is that this time in history was actually prophesied. What, what everybody would have been living and thinking to themselves, this is an accident. Um, this, you know, God, he must not be paying attention. Uh, how is it that we've ended up in these horrible circumstances? Well, if they would have thought about it, if they would have thought about the things that God had promised, they would have realized, no, God said all this was going to happen. None of it is an accident. And for you to think about your life and to realize nothing in your life is an accident. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Uh, this man, sh- and, and, and this is so God's promised Abraham is going to have a son. You guys all know the story, right? Sarah's like 90, and so she's not having any kids. And then Sarah's like, well, maybe I could help God out. You ever know anybody who tries to help God out? And she says, um, yeah, here, take my handmaid. You know, as you read the Bible and you read stuff like that, I'm just thinking there's not a chance in the world Michelle would have ever said, I can't get pregnant. Here, let me, let me introduce you to my friend. You know, no chance that's ever happening. And, and yet people did that stuff in the Old Testament. It's kind of crazy. And so Sarah does this, and God just looks at her and says, 
um, this is what he says. He says, no, that's not going to be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look at the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. So God's promise through this miracle, he's going to give Abraham a descendant, which he does. And then God um, makes this promise with Abraham in the rest of that passage down to verse 12. And Abraham goes to sleep. And then, then there's these animals that get cut in half. And God goes between these animals and makes a promise to Abraham that this is going to happen. And that's like this covenant thing. When you cut animals in half and then walk in between them, it's like saying, if this doesn't happen, may I be like those animals. So God is saying, this is like a promise that God is going to keep this. By the way, in most covenants, you would have both parties walk through. Guess who does not walk through? Abraham. Which means nothing depends on Abraham. Everything depends on God. And then this is the cool thing in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. So any, Egypt, any Israelite in Egypt um, is like, Hey, we're, this is not our land. And now we've become slaves. Like that was not their plan when they went there. But did you know that that was God's plan when he sent them there? Is that they would eventually be slaves in this land. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. So when the Israelites are looking around and they're saying, man, we're, we're afflicted, this is terrible, we came in here as Joseph's friends, uh, Joseph was this blessed man, that's why we ended up being here, and now somebody else took over the rulership of, of uh, Egypt, they forgot all about Joseph, and they are oppressing us. How did this happen? Oh, this is so terrible. It's like, no, that was God's plan, was that they would go there and that they would be oppressed. And verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So the whole book of Exodus is the story of God freeing Egypt, uh, Israel from Egypt, and one of the last things that happens is God just tells them, he says, hey, as, as the slaves are, being, slaves are being freed, by the way, this is all for free, okay? Um, as the slaves are being freed, um, they just go to everybody and say, hey, can I have your stuff? And the Egyptians are just like, it's almost like the Jedi mind trick or something. <laughs> can I have your stuff? Yes, you can have my stuff. And, and the Egyptians who hated the Israelites, God's destroyed Egypt. And when the Israelites, God just says, just go ask for stuff. And as they go ask for stuff, the Egyptians just give them all their stuff. And it says as they were leaving, thus they plundered Egypt. You know, it's kind of, you know, you look at that, man, this is so crazy. No, God said that 400 years before it happened. And so if they knew this story that had been passed down to them, they would have been going through this real difficult time and thinking, no, this is exactly what God said. And God has good plans for us. And... Um, isn't it nice to understand, hey, we're the nation that God's going to send the Messiah through? Like, life is so much better when you view all of it from the perspective of God and his overall plan in the universe. 
When your life revolves around how am I going to pay my rent? What am I going to do about this? There's this person at work that I'm having trouble with. My car just broke down today. And when we live our lives thinking about ourselves and what we want and what's happening in these little microcosms of our life, instead of taking a step back and saying, what is God doing in the world? And how do I fit into that? How can I be used by Him? Now, that's a perspective that all moms need to have, right? Because <laughs> when you get down into the little nitty-gritty of mundane stuff, sometimes it can be a little pessimistic, right? All right, so let's look at our first point here, which comes out of the, um, chapter 1 of Exodus, and that is just this, that courageous faith is displayed on the backdrop of difficulty. You know, the snapshot of life that you see is not the end of the story. God's always doing something bigger than you, and he's always doing something bigger for you. Um, Exodus 1, 6, and 7 says, Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was full of them. God put Israel in Egypt to take the 70 people that showed up and to turn them into over a million people who left. When they were there, God just made them thrive. And the Egyptians are seeing that, and it is scaring them. They're like, man, these 70 people that came and visited our nation are now a massive nation, and they were afraid of them. And that's partly what creates this problem. And then they said in verse 10, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore, they set task, taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And in verse 12, But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. And they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the Israelites work as slaves. They're like, maybe if you work hard, you won't reproduce as much. And God is just blessing them with kids, and they're growing. Verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sephora and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthing stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. So he basically gets these midwives and he just says, you're supposed to run around and help all the Israelites have babies and you are to kill all the males. Like, think about that. The, the tragedy of being commanded and to have your own life at stake that you must kill the male babies. Man, what a difficult situation. But the midwives feared God. See, that's the thing. When you have a reverence for God, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And it says here that they feared God, and that's the it needs to be the driving force in every one of our lives. Uh, they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And I just love this next part. 
Because the midwives are going to insult Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. Uh, look what they say in verse 9, 19. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives can come to them. So they're just like, well, I'll tell you why, Pharaoh, because you Egyptians are sissies. And the Hebrew women, they're tough. And before we even get there, they've already had their kid. You guys need someone to take care of you, but the Hebrews are tougher than you. I just love that. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because of the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people... So he's entrusted killing the Hebrews to the midwives when they don't do it. He says to all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let the daughters live. Um, so now he's telling all the Egyptians, go kill the Hebrew babies, grab them and just go throw them in the, go throw them in the Nile. And so now there's all this other external pressure. And the Bible tells us that there were many Hebrew babies that were killed in the Nile. So that actually did happen. And uh, I just think about just the tragedy of, of forcing a people and putting pressure on people to kill their kids. And, you know, that is not just unique to the Egyptians, right, and to the Jewish people. Like, we all know about the China one-child policy, where in China, until 2016, you're only allowed to have one child. And so uh, they would make women uh, not have any painkillers during the first birth so that they could say to them, see, that wasn't a good experience. And when people got pregnant the second time, they would sterilize them. They would fine them. They would potentially take their property. Like there was all kinds of persecution to people who had more than one baby. And for China, they've changed that. 2016, they changed it to now you can have two kids. But they still persecute people who have more than two kids. And it's, the only reason they changed that is because they're going to be economically devastated. Like, think about that. One kid has to take care of both parents financially, has to take care of the grandparents who survive. When you think about the financial and the personal burden of having over one, only one kid, that's terrible for a society when that happens. And so they've changed it because of their economic problems, not the morality of this pressure that they've put on people. And so it's not just Bible stories where this happens. How about this country? where we encourage people, you should end your baby's life because it'll be good for your job, it'll be good for your education, and we put pressure on people, and, and, and people are pressured to end their baby's lives for their own well-being, just like in China. We'll bless you, we'll give you money, we'll, we'll give you benefits if you'll only have one kid or now only two kids. And so we live in a country where this kind of thing is happening, and it's good for us to remember that the kinds of things that people have gone through throughout history, we're all going through those things. And one of the things that is important for us to know is that God is amazing and He is merciful and He is kind. And even people who have given into some of that pressure, God's mercy and grace and compassion and restoration is there. Like that's what it, that's, we're Christians, right? Because we have a sinful past and we, we come to God and His grace and mercy and love is poured out on us. 
and we're forgiven for everything in our past. That is just an amazing blessing. And every time we think of our own guilt, it just makes us so much more thankful. It makes us appreciate even more God's grace. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The one forgiven much loves much. The more messed up you have been, the more messed up you are, the better you are. Because the most defining thing in a person's life is their love for God. And that's how God uses even terrible tragedies for his own glory and for our blessing. You know, sometimes uh, we don't understand the big picture of what's happening. That's pretty bleak, right? When you're being forced by the nation that oversees you to kill your kids. And yet, if they read Genesis, they would say, this is God's plan. He told us that we would come here and that we would be oppressed, but that he has a good plan for us. Man, we read that in Romans chapter 8, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You know, it doesn't say everything is good. It just says everything works together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You know, true courage comes from trusting God. I want to just point this out too. You know, in this story, Jehochebed gets the credit uh, for being the one that um, took care of her baby. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden by three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And so we just see that in the midst of this difficult, challenging time, that God is good and God is working. And often our faith is displayed to the greatest degree in those moments that seem so bleak and difficult and pessimistic. But with God, nothing is pessimistic. Let's consider the second thing here. Second thing that we're going to see is that courageous faith shows itself in actions of love. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went, and he took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, you know, three times in, in Acts, when, when Peter is preaching, a, or I'm sorry, when Stephen is preaching a sermon about this, he talks about Moses being a beautiful child. In Hebrews, when the sto- Hebrews 11, when the story is recounted, it talks about Moses being a beautiful child. And it says, when she saw him as a fine child, um, that, that whole word for beautiful child is just that she looked at him and she knew this is a special kid. God's going to do something amazing with this kid. And I just want to encourage you, man, that's a mom, right? They look at their kids and they think they're amazing and that they can accomplish anything. And everybody else is like, man, that's a funny looking kid. And it's like, this is the most beautiful child. You know, you think, does anybody ever bring a kid home and look at their own kid and go, man, that's an ugly baby. Um, we've all seen some babies that we think are ugly, right? <laughs> and, uh, but moms never think their kids are ugly. They always think they're pretty. I used to think about that. I thought my kids were all cute. And I'm like, I looked at some other kids I thought were kind of ugly. Now, I think even ugly kids are cute. But, but I see these ugly kids and I'm like, is that just because they're my kids is why I'm thinking that? She looked at this kid and she knew that he was unique and special. 
And he was, but you want to know something? Every kid is unique and special. And when nobody else sees it, moms see it. And so this is being emphasized here, and that it's both kids, both parents. It wasn't just the mom, but in Exodus, it emphasizes Moses' mom. She potentially was the one driving this, and the dad knew and went along with it, but she gets a special mention in Exodus. She is emphasized. And so she knows this, that he has a divine purpose. And, uh, you know, every kid is divine and unique. And one of the things about Moses, he grows up to be this faithful man. And guess what? Samson was also had all that potential. And God was, when you look at the story of Samson, God still worked and used him greatly. But Samson was so self-centered and so focused on himself that it's like, it's like it kind of muddies what was going on, but faithfulness displays God's glory. And that's one of the things that we're going to see here is uh, her diligence. Look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, so she takes her life at risk and says, no, I don't care what the consequences are. She could have died for this. She says, I'm going to hide this baby. And when the baby's too loud and she can't hide him anymore... Uh, she says, okay, Pharaoh, you want the kid in the Nile? I'll put the kid in the Nile. Is she going to go over and throw him in so he drowns? She's like, no, I'm going to put him in a Nile in a little different way. And so we see her diligence and her faithfulness. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, and she dabbed it with bit, uh, bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done. So his mom makes this basket. She addresses it so that it will float. And then she puts it in the reeds where it's not going to just get washed down the river. And I think she placed it specially thinking, I'm going to put it in a spot where maybe he'll be found and rescued. And then she posts her daughter, Moses' sister, and says, go watch out for Moses. Now, one of the interesting things is the word for that basket that's used in this passage is the same word for ark. And so when you think about that, a person who knows the story and the writer of Exodus is drawing your attention to how God created an ark to save people. And here's an ark to save Moses. And so you see God's sovereign hand and care, and you see her faith as she puts this baby there and posts his sister. You know, it's interesting that Moses has an older sister and she has an older brother, Aaron. And I wonder how this informs their ministry. You see the three of them together all through Exodus, Numbers, and, Exodus and Numbers. You see this connection where Moses, Aaron is the priest and he's working with Moses and Miriam is prophesying and all these people are following her. And then there's this, Satan gets in there and causes a conflict between these three where, where God ends up having to discipline them for not respecting Moses. But in a sense, it's like, you got this, Miriam's like, I was your big sister when you were in that basket. I was sitting there looking out for you. And, and one of the amazing things about this family is that because of the faith, Aaron and Miriam have a front seat to God's miraculous working that comes out of the diligence of Moses' mom. And so she's courageous 
And it says in verse 23 here, it says, by faith, we can look at this verse again. When Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So there they are, they're hiding him. And what a courageous uh, protection. Do you guys ever hear that story? Uh, just a mother's courage, being able to risk her life. You, do you guys ever hear that story about that football player who... Um, his name was, Jer- his name was uh, uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Have you guys ever heard of him? So in 2017, this, this sports writer writes a story about him talking about his mom shortly after his mom passed away. And he tells this story. This is a picture of this guy. He tells a story about his mom. And he just says when he was about 14 years old, he lived in a neighborhood in South Central L.A., and he had some brothers, and the local gang comes to his house. They're trying to recruit um, him and his brothers to be in the gang, and so they come knock on the door, this intimidating group of people. And his mom comes to the door, and they're like, send your kids out here, and we want them to join our gang. And she goes, hold on a minute. She goes back inside, and she grabs a shotgun. And then the door flies open, and she's out there with a shotgun, and she just lets them know, my kids aren't joining any gang. And she has, like, some words for them. And uh, Keyshawn just says, uh, I looked at my mom, and I was like, wow, she's a tough cookie. Like, she's demonstrating to him courage, and she's re- willing to sacrifice herself. And by the way, they, they took off running, and, uh, which was probably smart for them. They looked at that mom and said, we don't want to mess with a mom. And he just talked about how he learned strength and courage and have the, the priority of having personal convictions. Um, from just watching that moment of his mom and just looking out. And that's what, that's what Moses' mom did for him. She said, I'm going to save my kid. And she put herself at risk. Third thing that we're going to see here is that courageous faith highlights God's sovereign plan and protection. It says, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young men walked beside the river... While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her servant woman, and she took it, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So she looks at this baby, and she sees this little baby crying, and she recognizes this is one of those Hebrew kids that's supposed to be killed. And God fills her heart with compassion for Moses. You know, that's not random chance. Uh, She's putting Moses out there by faith, but God, in the way he's working in a macro way with his sovereign plan, bringing things to his purpose, saying, Israel's going to be in Egypt, I'm going to make a great nation, take uh, take them out rich. But in the micro, God is still working in sovereign. And so this princess sees Moses and decides this. Um, So Miriam is there. It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And anybody who's had kids, somebody runs up, a little baby, I want to have this baby, I want to take care of this baby. And somebody goes, hey, I know somebody will take care of that baby. Absolutely. Who can we hire to take care of this kid? <laughs> There's a lot of work taking care of kids. <laughs> Those of us who have had them know. Those of you who are kids don't realize how much it's how hard it was to take care of you. 
But it's just this amazing thing. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Can you see God's amazing goodness? I mean, she goes from the fear that her baby's going to die to what consequences may come to her from saving this child to Pharaoh's daughter saying, I'm going to bring him into my house. What kind of protection does Moses get as Pharaoh's daughter? Goes from a slave to a prince. And then how is God pouring out his goodness and kindness that Moses' mom is going to get paid to take care of her own kid. I mean, that is God's amazing grace and kindness, and none of that would have been seen had she not acted in faith, had she given into the pressure, had she decided, well, I... I can't face what's going to happen to me if I do the right thing. Just a person with wholehearted faith and a love for her kids saying, I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to trust God. And how often do we miss out on seeing God's powerful hand because we don't live in faith, because we don't say whatever God says I will do. And yet they see God's power magnified. And by the way, um, our unfaithfulness and our compromise never reduces God's power. But sometimes when we compromise, we fail to see it the way we could see it. It's not highlighted the way that it could be highlighted. And so she's paid for caring for her own kid. And then this is the, the fourth thing. This is kind of the emphasis where we'll end up. And that is that courageous faith is inspiring. And when you think about Moses and what God did with, with Moses, his prominence, the comments that are made about Moses, we look at the story and we think, you know what? We actually saw all those things first in his mom. And he lived, and he probably heard the stories from his sister and from his brother about how he was saved. And him seeing that and him watching that shaped who Moses was. Look what it says in verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, it's amazing because she's raised this kid, and she has been training him and teaching him, and we're going to find out later that when he has a choice between all the pleasures of Egypt, of being a pharaoh in Egypt, he chooses an alliance with the Hebrew slaves. That flows out of what his mom was teaching him when he was a kid. And so it goes on, and it says that he became her son. She named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. And one day, when verse 11, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people. Okay, so you know how this story starts off kind of bleak? 
<laughs> can I just throw this out there? There's all kinds of good things, but it ends up bleak too. Do you guys know the rest of this story? So Moses, amazing victory, identifies with the Hebrews instead of the Egyptians. That's amazing. And then he goes out and he sees somebody beating a, he, a Hebrew slave. And so he defends the Hebrew slave, kills the Egyptian, hides him in the dirt. And Pharaoh finds out. Well, first of all, like there's a whole story about this happens. I won't, I won't tell you the whole story, but Pharaoh finds out. Moses is about 40 years old at this point, And Moses goes into hiding for another 40 years. He goes out into Midian. He's running for his life. And he leaves Egypt. And you could see this mom going, oh, man, it was so bleak. And, and we had to kill all the babies. And then I, we didn't kill the babies. And, and look at the, all these miraculous things that God did to save Moses. And how he ends up with all the training that he gets in the house of, of Egypt and Pharaoh's house. Now, think about all the technology and the leadership. I mean, the, the, the Egyptians built the pyramids. And Moses has all of that learning. And so he's just poised for everything to just be perfect and it's going to be amazing and, and he's going to free the Israelites. And then he kills a guy and goes and runs away. And I'm sure like 30 years later, his mom's going, man, it, it kind of seemed like it was going well, but where is even Moses? We don't know. He's gone and we're still slaves and things are still terrible. And it's 40 years later that Moses, while he's wandering around, sees a burning bush. And God calls him and sends him back to Egypt. And as an 80-year-old man, he starts leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You know, it's so important for us, when we look at these little microcosms in our life, and we look at the microcosms in the lives of our kids, and we're working so hard, and things seem so good, and then all of a sudden things go south. It is so important for us to remember that God is sovereign. God has a plan. God has power. And that is never done. And if we read the Bible and we see the way that God has worked in the past, it helps us make decisions about how we live our life today. Because Moses came back, and Israel did get out, and they did plunder the Egyptians, just like God said in Genesis chapter 15. Part of God's amazing plan. Man, he was a man of action, and he was inspired by the things that he saw in his mom. You know, one of the things I think about Jesus' disciples, and that's what I want to just encourage you with. If you're a mom, man, live a courageous life. Don't ever, like I hear so many people say, um, I can't influence my kids. You know, I tell my kids something a hundred times. The youth pastor says it once, and oh, the youth pastor's so great. Look what I learned from the youth pastor. It's like, I've been telling you that for like five years. And you know what? Our culture says you don't have an influence and you don't have, you're, you're not influential and all their friends are more powerful than you and the TV's more powerful than you and culture's more powerful than you. And I just want you to know, as a mom, you are influential. 
And your kids may be in your home and your kids may be out of your home. You've heard things like, well, you know, I could influence them when they're in my, in my house, but now they're grown kids. What am I going to do? All that stuff is a bunch of baloney. You are powerfully influential in your kids' lives, whether they're young or whether they're old. And the story is never done because God is at work. And so it's, it's, if you're a mom, don't devalue and don't miss opportunities to live your life as a mom with faith because God does powerful, amazing things. Um, if you look at your life and you see weaknesses and you have regret and you think, man, when my kids were younger, I should have done this and I should have done this and I should have done this. Everybody, anybody ever think thoughts like that? And you can look back and kind of have regret over things. You know, um, I think the only thing worse than regret is to look back at a bunch of mistakes and convince yourself that they weren't mistakes. Um, that's worse. But what's really good is when you can look back and you can say, yeah, a lot of things I regret, a lot of things I wish I could have done differently, but I'm going to start today doing things differently. And I can't redo the things that I should have done when my kids are young, but I'm not going to continue repeating those same mistakes. I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, that was a mistake, and I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done this, and I can't go back and change the past, but starting right now, I'm going to do what I can do because you are influential and God is powerful in your life. And the more you see your weakness the more you experience God's grace and actually the more powerful your influence becomes. And there's nothing wrong with going to your kids. I've done that tons of times. Hey, all these things, I should have done this and I'm sorry I did that. And I've, I see that and I learned from that and, and I'm, I'm sorry for how that impacted you, but can I tell you how you should think and what you should have learned back there or what I wish I would have taught you? And you can, with humility, love and pray and rely on God's strength. You know, Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. So the more you see your weakness, the more spiritually powerful you will be. But we live in a terrible generation where people look back at things that are clearly, were clearly wrong. And in order to make themselves feel better, they convince themselves that they weren't wrong. And that's not the right approach. The right approach is humility and a commitment to say, today, what can I do moving forward? And uh, man, you are powerful. You are powerfully influential through your faith in Christ as a mom. So never give up doing the things that God has called you to do. And uh, if you know a mom, um, go tell your mom happy birthday Encourage all the moms to be the people that God wants them to be. Let's be thankful every day for the moms that God, the, the special role that God has given them. It is amazing and powerful. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the story. God, I thank you for Moses' faithful mom who had a courageous faith. God, I pray that you would fill every mom in this room with a courageous faith. And Lord, that 
you would make up for any shortfallings in anybody's life, God, that you would pour out your blessing and your power. And Lord, that we would never allow ourselves to be defined by whatever a a situation looks like in the moment. Help us to know that you are good and you have a plan for the future and you are a good God and you work miracles in your name. Amen.